Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Once upon a time, a man repented of his sin and began to follow Jesus. But people didn't know what to think. Was his repentance legitimate? After all, he had been pretty committed to his former way of life. Was it all part of some plot to sneak his way into the church and destroy it from within? I mean, that had been his goal at one point. Could God's people trust this man? Should they welcome him? Would they celebrate his repentance or remain skeptical? The man's name was Saul. We know him better as the Apostle Paul. That man would go on to write most of what we call the New Testament. And over time, Paul's actions proved that his repentance was authentic. It's safe to say that there was joy in heaven when he encountered Christ on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. But do Christians like us share that same joy when the sinners that we know Repent and turn to Jesus. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you. And thank you that... On Sundays, while we, in a sense, come into your presence in a unique way in the context of worship with brothers and sisters in Christ, every single day that we wake up as believers, we wake up as your children. We wake up as your servants. And that is a great privilege and a great joy, one that costs the body and blood of your son, Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid on our behalf that our sins are forgiven, that our punishment has been taken, and that by faith in you, we share in your victory over death. We share in your victory over sin. We share in your victory over worldly powers and authorities, and we share in your victory over Satan himself. And Lord, remind us of that day in and day out. Fill us with your spirit. Help us walk in step with your spirit to be more like you. So that our righteousness wouldn't just be something that is said about us in our justification, but that we would actually be made righteous by the power of your spirit for your glory. And Lord, be with us as we attend to your word today and every other Sunday and every other day of the week. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are open to what your word has to say to your people. I pray that your word would not go out and void today as you say it won't so lord help us hear what you have to say to us we love you we thank you for all these gifts that you give us your son your spirit your word your church we ask this all in christ's name amen well last sunday zach preached from luke 15 verses 1 through 10 the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin When the shepherd found his missing sheep and the woman found her missing coin, 
they and their surrounding communities rejoiced. And Jesus used those stories to show that in the same way, there is joy in heaven when even just one sinner repents. But let's also be honest. That shepherd would have been fine without that one sheep. He had 99 more. The woman probably would have been okay, too. She still had nine other coins. And while it may sound harsh, heaven doesn't need you or me to be heaven. So long as God is there. These parables aren't about how wonderful or how special we are. They're about how gracious and kind God is to repentant sinners. Nevertheless, Jesus's audience, particularly the Pharisees and the scribes of verses one and two, needed these reminders. If the angels of heaven so joyfully celebrate sinners returning to God, so should they. And so should we. Now, it's important to note that the same audience of verses one and two. The Pharisees and the scribes are still present when Jesus tells this next parable, the parable of the prodigal son. In many ways, the message of this parable ties right in with the message of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But in other ways, this parable is also quite different from those two. Jesus goes into much greater detail. He makes a unique emphasis. And perhaps most significantly, he ends this parable in a much different way. We're no longer talking about replaceable things like sheep or coins. We're no longer talking about one out of 100 or even one out of 10. The stakes are much higher here because we're talking about People. We're talking about children. We're talking about sons. Two of them to be exact. So beginning in Luke 15, verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So these verses give us two main characters. First, we have the younger son. And there seems to be no redeeming, likable, or impressive qualities about this young man. He's selfish, disrespectful, and reckless. He's such an unsavory figure that when he hits rock bottom, hungering after pig slop in the midst of a famine, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for him. While he can't control the weather, it's still the case that he brought this suffering upon himself. But then he repents. He comes to himself. He recognizes the error of his ways and formulates a plan to go home and beg his father for mercy. He's even humble enough to recognize that he no longer deserves to be called son. He'd be content to be welcomed back as a servant. Now, there is some debate about whether or not the young man truly repents. Some suggest that his words are really just a half-hearted, desperate, manipulative, rehearsed plot to once again take advantage of his naive father. But the context of the parable seems to indicate otherwise. The young man repents. Now, our next main character is, of course, the father. At first, he comes across as a real pushover, doesn't he? When his son demanded his inheritance early, shouldn't the father have put him in his place? Well, maybe. However, most parents might recognize that sometimes you have to stay quiet Take your lumps and let your kids learn from their mistakes. But in the end, the father proves himself to be an exemplar of grace, kindness and forgiveness. He doesn't just politely greet his rebellious son. He rushes out to meet him and showers him with affection. He doesn't allow his son back as a servant He joyfully restores him to the family. He doesn't jump down his son's throat upon his return. Wag his finger and say, I told you so. The father throws a party. Now, if the parable of the prodigal son ended here, verse 24 it would fall right in line with the previous two parables, wouldn't it? 
something gets lost, literally or metaphorically, is found by the one who lost it, and celebration ensues. And though we often want to stop here and focus all of our attention on the prodigal son and his gracious father, we can't ignore the fact that this parable doesn't end at verse 24. There's a third main character we still haven't met. And if we look closer, it's the ending of this parable that really separates it from the other two. In fact, the ending might be the key to discerning the main thrust of Jesus' teaching in this passage. So picking up in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So our third main character is the older son. The one we hear next to nothing about in verses 11 through 24. He's not happy that his little brother gets this party. In fact, he doesn't even speak of him as a brother. Look at how he referred to him in verse 30. This son of yours. But come on. Can you blame the older brother for being a bit put off? This son has been quietly faithful, responsible, and respectful. While Junior was off sowing his wild oats and bringing shame upon the family, this son has done his duty. But guess who gets the party? Guess who's celebrated? It's simply not fair, is it? The father tries to comfort the older brother. He tries to reassure him of his love and persuade him to come inside and have some cake. But the older son refuses. In an ironic twist, the older brother ends up outside the house while the younger brother is inside. The younger brother hoped he might be welcomed back as a servant and is treated like a son. But it's the older brother, the one who never abandoned his family to begin with, who sounds more like a servant. He chooses to remain bitter 
jaded and distant. It's this ending, verses 25 through 32, that sets this parable apart from the other two in this chapter. What makes these verses so critical to understanding Jesus' teaching? Well, remember the context. Jesus is welcoming repentant tax collectors and sinners. Remember the audience. The grumbling Pharisees and scribes. If we remember those basics, it's not hard to figure out who's who. It's not hard to connect the dots. The prodigal son represents the sinners and tax collectors. Those who have spent time in a faraway country pursuing sin only to hit rock bottom, discover that their way of life isn't working, and turn to the only one who can save them. The gracious father is none other than God, which shouldn't surprise us. Jesus regularly speaks of God as father throughout the gospel of Luke. That then makes the older brother, the Pharisees, and scribes. Those who bitterly, angrily, and self-righteously refuse to be associated with repentant sinners and tax collectors. And by refusing to welcome those who come to Jesus and repent of their sin, the Pharisees and scribes are out of step with heaven. They're out of step with the angels. They're out of step with the God they claim to worship and serve. And most obviously, they're out of step with Jesus. Repentant sinners should not be turned away. They should be embraced. They shouldn't be greeted begrudgingly. They should be welcomed joyfully. That is the heart of of our God. Once upon a time, a man repented of his sin and began to follow Jesus. But people didn't know what to think. Was his repentance legitimate? After all, this man had been pretty committed to his former way of life. Was it all part of some plot to rehabilitate his image? I mean, his sins were public. And severe. Could God's people really trust him? Should they welcome him? Would they celebrate his repentance or remain skeptical? That man's name was Chuck Colson. Before his decades of Christian ministry to criminals in prison, he was a criminal himself, serving as a key cog in President Richard Nixon's 1972. Watergate scandal. But over time, Chuck Colson's actions proved that his repentance was authentic. It's safe to say that there was joy in heaven when he encountered Christ before doing time in an Alabama jail. But do we share that same joy when the sinners we know repent and turn to Jesus? 
Now, when we read Jesus' parables, we naturally try to discern which character we might relate to. Well, I suspect that in this parable, all three main characters have something to teach us. First, we should all be able to relate to the prodigal son. In one way or another, we have been in his shoes. We've strayed, wandered, and sinned. We've removed ourselves from fellowship with the God who made us. And just for the record, you don't have to have some kind of over-the-top, dramatic conversion story to see yourself in this young man. Our God has graciously, kindly, and mercifully welcomed us back into his arms by faith in the person and work of Christ. He greets us not as lowly servants who have to earn our way back into his good graces. Instead, he restores us as his sons and daughters. Second, we Christians sometimes find ourselves in the place of that gracious father. Remembering how God has generously welcomed and forgiven us, we are called to welcome and forgive those around us. When we're on the receiving end of someone else's sin, may we be as willing and ready to reconcile with them as God has reconciled us to himself. As Paul puts it simply and memorably in Romans 15 verse 7, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And of course, we must learn from the cautionary tale of the older brother. We come to believe in Jesus. We repent of our sin. We serve faithfully, responsibly, and respectfully. We're at church at least 45 Sundays per year. We attend all of the Bible studies. We give generously. We check every box. And with enough time, we might forget the grace that God has shown us. We can grow a bit entitled. And to be honest, we're a little put off by the idea that God so happily welcomes those people whose sins are far worse than ours. Or so we think. We question whether people like that, the white supremacist, the LGBTQ activist, the Hollywood A-lister, the common thief, the Republican, the Democrat, we question whether someone like that could possibly legitimately repent. At best, we might keep them at arm's length, skip out on the party. At worst, we might refuse to acknowledge them as our siblings at all or hold their previous sins over their heads well into the future. If that's us, when that's us, may we do some repenting of our own. Embracing that attitude will only leave us bitter, cold, and angry with both God and the people around us. Worst of all, we will find ourselves out of step with heaven 
out of step with the angels and out of step with our Lord. Now, it is worth asking, did those Pharisees and scribes of verses one and two get Jesus's message? I mean, it was pretty clearly directed at them. Well, sadly, the answer appears to be no. In Luke 19, people once again grumble when Jesus welcomes a repentant tax collector named Zacchaeus. In chapter 20, the religious leaders question Jesus's authority and continue their efforts to trip him up. And in chapter 22, they take the final step, collaborating with Judas to put Jesus to death. It's too late for the Pharisees and scribes to look closer at Jesus' words. They're dead and gone. They missed their chance. But it's not too late for us. So how do we Christians respond when a sinner repents? We celebrate. Like the shepherd who found his sheep, the woman who found her coin, and the father who found a son. We rejoice with the angels of heaven. We do it remembering that we once wandered in a faraway country. We once hit rock bottom. We were once welcomed back by our gracious Father. We were once dead. We were once lost. So who are we to stand outside the party and be angry with God for showing the same kindness to others that he's shown to us or to keep our restored brothers and sisters in Christ at arm's length? Once upon a time, When we repented of our sin, there may have been people who didn't know what to think. Once upon a time, we were prodigals. But by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, dead and lost sinners can be alive, found, adopted. May we join with the angels of heaven in rejoicing when those days come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day again. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And thank you for the reminders of Luke 15. Whatever position we're in right now, whether we're that prodigal son who needs to swallow our pride and repent of our sin and come to you for the mercy and the kindness and the grace and the forgiveness that only you can give. Whether we're in the position of that father, we've been wronged by someone and we need to learn to forgive them as you've forgiven us. Or whether we're that older brother And we need to repent of our hardness of heart towards those around us. We've grown entitled. We've grown arrogant. We've grown self-righteous. Whoever we are, wherever we are, Lord, may be playing some of these roles all at the same time. I pray that you would help us look closer. Again, give us ears to hear and eyes to see 
what you've told us this morning. By the power of your spirit, may we take these words and apply them to our hearts, apply them to our minds, and that they would bear fruit in our words and in our actions. Remind us of the grace that you've shown us day in and day out. And I pray that the grace we've received would shape the grace that we offer to those around us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for Christ's body and blood that has restored prodigals like us to your family. Help us offer that same grace, same kindness, same forgiveness to all who would have it. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.